0: hello and welcome to searching for the question live Uh, my name is David Orban and I am very glad to have you all following the show before we start I want to remind you that uh, we are streaming simultaneously on Facebook YouTube and Twitter and uh, you are welcome to chime in this is the beauty of being live with your questions and comments and we will be able to pick them up show them on the stream and uh, answer them comment on them uh, and uh, eh, that way we make this session uh, as interactive as possible Uh, on youtube of course you can also subscribe to the channel and uh, be alerted uh, if uh, there are new episodes uh, in the future and be ready to watch uh, from the beginning you can also join our discord community Uh, to keep um, conversing around the themes uh, of the episodes, whether we are talking about uh, uh, the theme of today or of those that uh, we had in the past, or uh, the topics that you would like us to cover in the future, because you can also uh, vote on guests uh, and suggest uh, uh, new ones that you would like to, to, to see here and uh, finally if you find uh, the show uh, uh, interesting and uh, the content that I produce together with my team valuable you're welcome to become a supporter on patreon at patreon.com slash David Orban in uh, the various levels uh, available you can pick the right one fitting uh, uh, your level of interest and uh, make sure that we will keep uh, producing this uh, in the future as well. So, what I want uh, uh, to open with really is uh, how incredible what we can do is uh, with the tools we have uh, today. Uh, We are uh, in a pandemic. Um, So many people are still logged in uh, their homes. Uh, those that uh, are allowed to timidly leave uh, are still cautious but with the power uh, of uh, the hardware and the software and the communication infrastructure uh, that we have uh, really we are reinventing so many things to uh, experience reality together and uh, these are the the themes that uh, we are going to address with uh, today's guest uh, Evo Heining. Evo uh, makes new worlds uh, come to life uh, designing global and uh, playable experiences with uh, artificial reality, virtual reality, augmented reality, XR in general. And mm-hmm. she integrates different content networks and, and channels um, and over the course of the past uh, 20 years she produced uh, dozens and dozens of campaigns boosting civic engagement improving um, collaboration and also helping to raise millions of dollars for great uh, causes Uh, she's the co-founder and ceo of playable agency and uh, i want uh, to welcome evo to searching for the question live
1: hi great to see you david
0: so um I like, uh, uh, as uh, we are at the beginning, uh, to ask uh, my guests uh, how they are, and and I'm happy to see that you look well, and uh, how they are coping. So how was your experience over the course of the past month or two? Oh,
1: wow. Um, Well, we've been in lockdown since early March here in Oakland. Um, It has been loud here. Uh, There is a lot of social justice energy and enthusiasm and movement in the air Um, i'm healthy but uh pivoting a business right now especially starting a new business uh, we started in january 2020 Uh, and here in america starting a business in january 2020 um makes it a, a little bit of a disadvantage we can't access some of the programs for example that other businesses can uh so we've had to be extremely resourceful to to navigate this time together.
0: Absolutely. Uh, You are uh, connected with us uh, from uh, uh, Oakland uh, in California, and uh, uh, here is uh, Google Earth. Uh, I'm talking to you from Bergamo uh, in Italy, which also was famous. Uh, The New York Times uh, uh, did a comparison between Bergamo and New York, which they would have never done before. And uh, he, let's let's fly over to your place, which is kind of the other part of the world. There you go. That's right. And yeah. for for people who don't know, Oakland is right across uh, uh, the San Francisco Bay from the city of San Francisco, and uh, it is a very interesting uh, community, um, together with uh, with Berkeley uh, as well. Of course. It is
1: amazing for art, for food, for film. There's a number of great film uh, projects like Sorry to Bother You and Fruitvale Station that were set here. Um, If you look at Wakanda in Black Panther, that's Oakland, and that's the future of Oakland, being a place where uh, not only do Black Lives Matter, but all Black Lives Matter in this space. And that includes including all of our immigrant communities. I live in a community that is so wonderfully diverse and it's Southeast Asian communities together with uh, folks who've lived here for generations, indigenous communities. And and this place has become uh, a celebration of that art and creativity. And, and I've loved living here now for the last five years. I also have a business in Los Angeles. I've been in California for about 20 years now. And uh, California is such a rich and fertile place, both for innovation and for creativity.
0: Um, am I right? Uh, we originally met at uh, Singularity University, but were you also at the International Space University? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm mistaken there.
1: I I was not there, but my special effects company has done some related projects. So um, with my husband, Brent, I had started a company called Toy Shop Systems, which builds spaceships for film and for theme parks, television, you name it, big sci-fi projects. Uh, So we had, uh, I think I had originally encountered you both in the space industry and at Singularity.
0: And and of course, just like uh, many others, uh, Singularity University has also pivoted to digital uh, programs. And for those of us who care about its future, it will be interesting to see how it is going to be able to embrace that uh, in a sustainable fashion. Uh, Because uh, for so many uh, of the students, uh, uh, the uh, experience of being on campus at NASA was uh, an integral part of uh, of the enjoyment and the value that they derived Mm -hmm. as well as uh, being able to spend intense hours not only within the curriculum but also during the evenings or the nights to keep talking about the themes that uh, we are all so passionate about so it is going to be really really a challenge to keep that light uh, or even to strengthen it because contrary to what was before, now for example, there is no more any constraint about uh, the the ability to have no more than 80 people or whatever the number was because at the in the first class we had 80 then we went no the first class was 40, then we went to 80 and 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 the campus couldn't have more than a given number. But when you have a digital experience, there is no limit to the number of people that you can, uh, you can actually include. So uh, I, I think that is There's a limit between... to
1: the bonds you can build. And that's where uh, we're seeing more and more, it's about the value of the instruction with a teacher, but also the bonds with a group. Having a cohort has never been more important. Um, and having a small cohort that you can actually work with Um, What we're seeing even in virtual events is that people need small groups just for engagement
0: so so uh, um, This is called the Dunbar number uh, uh, Which uh, the anthropologist Robin Dunbar formulated that uh, there is a upper limit to the number of people with whom humans can develop deep and meaningful relationships and um, whether it is 100 or 200 or, or the commonly used value of 150, a question is whether, one, this is true, and mm-hmm. whether technological tools can help us overcome this limitation or, or uh, improve our context switching so that if in the past the village and the variety of human experience represented by the village was Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this this limit today maybe i know 150 people very deeply professionally and then another 150 people who are very different from the first in uh, for my other interests
1: Right. Very small, overlapping Venn diagram. Um, For example, you know the uh, flower of life, which is this sort of nested circle approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can imagine having a core, even just your family and closest friends, that's going to be much smaller than 150 usually for most people. Um, But for some of us, we end up with very wide circles of 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 or more people that we actually connect with. Those aren't deep bonds, right? But we might choose to go to the outer circle for a while, right? Go go socialize at Singularity and just be in that bubble for a while and then come back. And we don't lose that connection of the other circle. We just need a place to reconnect to it, right? That's why, um, you know, the the messengers and the groups and the Zoom groups and all of these sorts of things have proliferated because we still crave that small group bonding, whether it's our alumni, uh, you know, we have like a WhatsApp group that's very lively. Every day we're chatting to each other. Um, I actually had to turn off WhatsApp because my alumni group is so, Uh, potent and active Uh, so uh, people crave that bond you know we are eight years away from my grad school experience at Singularity and yet we're still talking to each other every day
0: well uh, just as uh, we have a hi there from a uh, an old old friend uh, from Second Life and it is uh, wonderful to, to, oh, to have hi. you here at Melbourne. So, uh, maybe we haven't spoken for 10 years, uh, and I may be mistaken about it, but uh, welcome. Hi. And I'm looking forward to any remark or question you may, you may ask.
1: David, so, what is your avatar name in Second Life, by the way? I'm in Kenzo, and I don't know that we ever talked about that, but, I mean, that was my career for, for yeah. six years, So,
0: So, uh, uh, obviously, uh, I am happy to disclose that, and uh, mm-hmm. I uh, don't assume that uh, anybody should definitely uh, do that, because one of the um, exhilarating factors of living uh, in an immersive uh, virtual world mm-hmm. Is uh, the possibility of being somebody else rather than yourself, right? Right. As fully as possible, and in as a disconnected manner as possible. Okay. I am too lazy uh, uh, to to do that actually. So uh, we were about two thousand people in Second Life when I uh, opened my avatar. And uh, the last name, because that is what Second Life used to do. They, right. they issued and retired last names. and then those who were familiar uh, could know how old an avatar was because of the last name. So So my name in Second Life, if anybody wants to connect, let me let me also display that here uh, is,
1: I had it's first come into David secondly. Orban
0: David oh. Orban Agnon. My first name is David Orban. That is how lazy I am and my last name is Agnon. Excellent
1: excellent. <laughs> I had uh, I had lived so in depth as my avatar that my Facebook was as in Kenzo for the first five years, I was very upset that they made me go to my real name. I didn't want to use my real identity on any social media originally. And yeah. uh, being forced to do that uh, kind of went against my, my desire for the avatar persona to become my primary persona, um, which some people crave. I, I certainly wanted to go beyond, like, I like being green. I don't like necessarily being stuck with a human skin tone.
0: There, there were there were a lot of people, uh, and for some of them, was uh, really traumatic because maybe they were living a fuller life uh, online than they were allowed by social convention or or um, the circumstances of their physical world or community, and and collapsing the two. Could have represented um, uh, real issues, if not even danger, for for some. Right. And and uh, started in China, adopted in South Korea, the fact that the flaunted freedoms of the West were thrown out of the window by this uh, reduction of identity to whatever is in your uh, passport or or ID card is is a is a huge. Uh, um it's it's real it's a real shame and uh, yes. and and that we are not rebelling against it is is also quite shameful. But I, uh, I
1: encourage young people to create many avatars and personas that are not necessarily based on their human persona because the more we experiment with the plasticity of the self, um, number one, you're putting a lot of different signals out there. So it becomes harder to identify who is this being because you're evolving over time. The person I was 20 years ago is not who I am now. And we, we shouldn't expect for, for people to stay static. Um, and this is part of the problem we have with the way digital culture kind of pigeonholes people over time. It's like you get stuck in an identity that doesn't necessarily serve you. So you you have to kind of bust open those avatar personas and and the real personas as well.
0: Another reason why uh, this is especially important today is because we are living times where morals evolve rapidly too and behaviors that were acceptable 10 or 20 years ago are judged with uh, today's lens. And uh, if we are... Uh, put in a situation where we cannot distance ourselves from that which we are not anymore and with which we don't Id- identify anymore then uh, uh, no uh, no proper uh, redemption is possible not no proper evolution uh, of behavior is possible and 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 uh, society freezes really. Uh, right. No experimentation is possible either. So so uh, for somebody who uh, is comfortable in their own skin, uh, that may not be a big deal. And, and uh, a lot of people don't recognize how important this is actually, but especially for young people who still have very naturally to find out who they are and, wow. and what they are comfortable with and what they are not comfortable with. That is really, really crucial.
1: And we're all doing this. And it doesn't matter if it's for our transgender friends. Uh, The Transgender Resource Center, for example, in Second Life, became a place where people got support for their transitions. Um, Mm -hmm. Having spaces like that that are safe places where you're not going to be uh, stalked or 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 be subject to risk in the same form uh there's always risk to engagement interactivity is risky and so sometimes when we're creating events or communities or experiences we have to think through those risks before people ever come in the space and then we have to be in this very proactive and responsive Um, stance with people so that if there is a Zoom bombing and a hate crime and a random thing happening in your virtual memorial, for example, which has happened to us, uh, figuring out how you're going to navigate that with your community together, transparently in in real time. Um, This this is part of the work in, in creating these safe spaces for people to do that exploration, inquiry together. uh, We don't have enough places for that. We don't have many commons. Uh, The social commons, especially now that we've been in lockdown this year, has all but disintegrated. And we know that places like Facebook aren't a a healthy commons. Um, And so, you know, you're left with Twitter or or these sort of experimental virtual worlds. Uh, and That that leaves a a lot of terrain to to remake what the commons can be.
0: Uh, So, uh, on the uh, uh, homepage of your uh, startup, uh, Playable Agency, you have a lot of uh, very, very interesting uh, images. Uh, <laughs>
1: immersive experiences, yes. We we started in immersive, interactive, and experiential. So we're an agency focused both on XR um, in terms of VR worlds. This is an uh, artist named Sarah Finn who uh, has a... a Um, casting Dream Seed. And so in this case, Sarah is both painting in Tilt Brush and her avatar is painting in the virtual space in Neos VR, while the DJ is in this case, uh, Julian Reyes, who is also a VR developer here, is uh, also DJing. So uh, this mixed reality approach where we might have an event, this was our uh, GDC party uh, in March, and we flipped it to become a virtual mixed reality event where there were four different rooms and experience zones that people could enter whether on their mobile phone on twitch uh, or or in neos vr as well um and hubs which became this very sort of democratized approach uh, you see my co-founder here, Scott, and he's got this Mondrian hat, right? So he's using the light form, which is uh, projected AR. And uh, I saw your Rubik's Cube behind you. He's got this whole cubatory approach where he's taking Rubik's Cubes and Mondrian and kind of mixing them into immersive experience zones. Whereas here in Neos VR, we've got avatars that are fantastic, right? They're they're creatures that- they're dragons they're they're all sorts of wild uh embodiments and and that's the fun of vr you can be anything you want right that's why we used to go to second life to create these wild fantastic environments
0: and uh and uh uh, when second life uh, was uh uh, king uh, a lot of people were uh dreaming about it being more immersive but i insisted that uh the The screen didn't really exist. And the 3D nature, especially the ability to create with the avatar in an intrinsic and, and uh, embedded manner, rather than leaving the world, uh, crafting in another platform like Unity or, or whatever other engine, and, and only then going back, this uh, was a very very uh, important component of uh, uh, of uh, second life
1: absolutely and that's but where vr it came it didn't from.
0: matter that yeah. it was it was on the screen the screen basically psychologically disappeared
1: right and and modern day vr um oculus for example what palmer did was adapting what nani de la pena was working on in the lab at the university right she was developing second life experiences virtual guantanamo for example with i i developed with her and then figuring out how to make that experience as immersive as possible they had built their own vr headsets three years before Oculus became a thing. Uh, So that was figuring out like, how do you take these sort of flat deliveries of a 3D world and make them even more immersive so that people really do get a chance to go fully into the experience, whatever the experience might be. Uh, Now, uh, obviously, some people prefer to build in VR and some people don't. Some people get disoriented when trying to build in a fully VR environment, whereas other architects have found that it frees them to do things they couldn't do before.
0: Um, I uh, worked with uh, General Lanier in the late uh, 80s uh, when the Data Glove uh, and the first uh, headsets uh, were Uh, being prototyped as well as uh, virtual reality as a term was coined Uh, and um, not a lot of people remember but his company was called uh, VPL research and VPL stood for visual programming languages because he was uh, obsessed about um, the need for developers to be more expressive and more productive and an increasing uh, set of data, uh, in his opinion, could be handled uh, if uh, the visualization and the debugging tools and and whatever else came together in this immerse immersive manner. Right. But the uh, VRML
1: code took what twenty years before the commercialization of VR.
0: Well, and 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 we are still going in these ebbs and flows of enthusiasm and and recon- reckoning with, with uh, reality, um, uh, I, I was uh, pitched uh, as an investor, um, I think a couple of years ago um, uh, uh, in New York, a, a very high quality and very high cost platform for data visualization, which was aimed at board meetings, so that uh, at the board meeting, the board members could absorb rapidly complex data that could be represented in these immersive worlds and that was all true except that a uh, high profile new york-based board meeting with everybody wearing a headset is just impossible to imagine it would it would not happen at all absolutely except not for because, now
1: when we need to
0: well and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, even even earlier uh, from from Jaron Lanier, I was I was working with um, the company called uh, Dragon Systems, uh, yeah. the makers of Dragon. Naturally speaking, uh, yeah. which is, as an engine is now part of uh, Siri and and everything else. And at the time, the difficulty was that the same kinds of executives that today feel silly wearing a headset. Were explicitly saying I don't want to look like a receptionist I don't want to wear a headset and those were evidently sexist times enough so that they could afford to say something like that uh, because only receptionists would wear a headset as they were answering uh, the switchboard and um, and and oftentimes uh, people who are designing and providing very exciting stuff for geeks. Forget about these details that <laughs> that other people are 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 not like geeks. So right. how do you how do you um, um, face that challenge? How do you try to make the things that you design um, welcoming for not only super geeks but also uh, people who are a little more. Um uh yeah, they they are they are not as courageous in their experimentation.
1: I there's two different approaches. There is either go where the people already are, right? So this is why you see conferences happening in Animal Crossing, you see raves happening in Fortnite and Minecraft, right? Go where people already are because then you know you've got an engaged audience. Or You figure out how to do something that can go into the interfaces that people have. And most people don't necessarily have a VR headset. Maybe 10, 20, 30% of your audience does. But in general, most people don't have a VR headset. So then you design something that gives you a choice of interface. So I can watch it on my TV or I can watch it on my laptop or I can watch it on my tablet or on my mobile phone. Um, and giving people a say of where they want to go as well, because not everyone wants the 3D experience. They might want to watch it on Twitch. Um, When we did the IEEE and VR conference, it was in Mozilla Hubs as the 3D delivery layer. Mozilla has a great open platform that has a cloud delivery service that can scale for events, but it's also designed for both privacy security, you're, you're able to think about how to bring groups together there in a way that doesn't necessarily work in many other platforms. So um, while Mozilla Hubs was the 3D delivery, many people while they were at work or in their university labs went on via Twitch because the Twitch deliveries, which were basically Zoom with a wrapper a, a in a stream, basically you're taking the Q and A, putting it around the the Zoom call and making a stream out of it. And then you send that to Twitch and then you bring the Twitch into an environment like Hubs. So with IEEE and VR, we had a hundred (laughs) plus VR rooms, but these VR rooms are available in 2D or 3D on mobile phone or on tablet. So um, most people didn't choose to necessarily go into most of the Hubs spaces unless there was a reason to be in 3D an interactive demo. Uh, The poster sessions were fantastic in 3D and I'm not sure exactly why except for the intimacy worked between the PhDs. Uh, So that was where there was a really fascinating dynamic of um, recreating the hallway effect in some small place. Um, the hallway effect at a conference, that sort of place where the networking happens, where you get introduced to someone new, is often missing in virtual events. And I think um, there's been a handful of people, uh, I'm thinking of Kent Bai in particular, who's done a whole Twitter thread about why we need these social spaces, these sort of virtual hallways for a virtual event, uh, a place to come together. And very few platforms have thought about, like for example, the the accidental or the serendipitous meeting versus the actual stream of a program.
0: And, and, and uh, am I am I right that uh, this uh, other platform Icebreaker uh, is about creating experiences that enable people uh, to well break the ice and and feel involved? So you design little rituals, replace mm-hmm. your physical uh, experiences with digital rituals of meet and greet and happy hour and right. on. So, right.
1: so game show can also be run this way because what you're doing is you start off in a group that's facilitated and then you're breaking off into dyads, into twos. And you're having maybe five, six, seven minutes to network or connect with that person, have a bond and then come back and you can just keep connecting those. And so they've been used for uh, speed dating, for example, as well as business networking. Um, Hopin2, which is being used for virtual conferences, also has a networking a uh, tab within their platform, and it does the same thing. It basically just matches you with someone to go talk to for five minutes, and that's the serendipity uh, sort of engine within the virtual conference.
0: And, and it is inf- interesting that a lot of this um, gains value by artificial scarcity. Uh, just like uh, we are not built uh, to cope with overabundance of food. At least I am not, because I am too fat. I can't resist. Uh, similarly, um, I uh, gorge on, on books. Uh, you know, you see many physical ones, but I have probably now a hundred <laughs> times as many digital ones, and uh, uh, I will never be able to read them. I trust the AI to be able to recommend them to me if, uh, the same with Netflix. And and so if the digital event platform is boundless, it paradoxically lowers the value of the human connection that I can form because it feels easily replaceable. I didn't meet that person. All right, there are a thousand others that I can meet too. And so those platforms like Hopin that uh, uh, guide you in appreciating the networking for example uh, is uh, is starting to understand uh, what uh, uh, what is uh, what is this all about
1: i think it's it's coming from a place that is centered in how humans actually bond um after a Watching a stream for an hour, the last thing I want to do is watch another hour of streams and panels. I want to go have a conversation with someone for five, 10 minutes. Our brains like to do that kind of processing. And often we think about virtual events as delivering like a broadcast, like a one-to-many or a small group band streaming to 10,000, 100,000 people. And we forget that people come to these things because they want to meet others too. So there's a lot of different ways to roll that out. Um, Figuring out what that's going to look like in terms of how are we going to actually connect? Do we create part of our program for that? Do we gamify it? Do we design some sort of engagement? I'm working on uh, one festival design right now where the whole conference will be a game of sorts. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you begin to do these sorts of role play or avatar embodiment or exploration, and and that way they can open up the container of their community to new people and new types of experiences. Um, we're all trying to figure out how to experiment right now. Um, I'm, I'm meeting later today with a big festival, and they're trying to figure out well how are we going to deliver something as magical as our big event, and, and it doesn't matter if it's large or small, everyone's got the same challenge. They've lost most of their budgets, but they are still charged up to do what they do best, which is create these magical experiences. Um, streaming, streaming by itself is not it.
0: Yeah. It's only one
1: yeah. piece of a puzzle and figuring out what are the other pieces of the puzzle is what we do.
0: And uh, if we see too many events uh, where uh, uh, there is a talking head, and you are expected to stay uh, four, eight hours in front of the screen, and uh, maybe the event is three days long. and And uh, the organizers don't realize that the reason events were multi-day events is because if I spent thousands of dollars and the uh, eight, twelve hours to go to someplace, well, obviously I wouldn't go home the evening. And since uh, that was the kind of investment in time and resources required, they'd better keep me entertained and fed and and uh, my brain also filled up with as much as possible over the course of two, three days. Uh, but now that is not necessary anymore, as well as it is a, a crazy expectation that I would be sitting in front of the screen that long especially if I am passive right uh, so um, uh, too many event organizers have not uh, uh, understood how differently they need to 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 think and and how radically the the concept of those events have to be uh, redesigned
1: right because your event might work better as a one hour a day for a series of weeks versus eight hours a day and, and you really need to think about, well, what does your audience want? What is the value they're coming for? And what are you asking with them? Is there a participation in process? Because if there's participation, then you've got a driver to engagement. And then you can start to design how do you work with that.
0: And another concept that I am playing with is that in too many uh, conferences, um, yes, you listen to the to the keynote speaker because you're excited to be live together with the person, but then you are looking forward to the Q&A that is universally cut short because the MC will say, "Uh, sorry, we are late, we have to move to the next uh, speaker. And you said, but no, please, this is the best time of the whole thing. So now what is possible is to uh, actually deliver the keynote uh, recorded, but not synchronous, in an asynchronous manner, so that maybe five days or three days leading up to the, the conference, everybody can watch uh, at their own pace uh, the what used to be the content, and then there is uh, the maximum amount of time possible dedicated to interactive Q&A type sessions, and maybe the curation. And the, the, the voting on the questions it themselves, it leads up to the privilege of being uh, selected because you asked the smartest question, <laughs> as voted by the audience or selected by the speaker. And then you can ask the question. And then depending on the answer of the speaker, you can ask a follow-up question and that is something that is really valuable and And never happens.
1: Fantastic ways to just even bake that into the stream. And with IEEE, I liked how we used Slido to do this. So by using Slido, the questions are right there. Everyone can see them. You can begin to engage that. Even before the question was answered in the stream, people in Mozilla Hubs were discussing the questions. So they're having their own chat and giving each other tips in the virtual space among 20 people that the stream audience may not have access to. They're able to have a whole side channel conversation. Um, At the same time, you're still bringing the best questions to light. So I think there's a number of ways you can use social media uh, and integrate that to your streams. Uh, There's a tool we've used called maestro.io. Uh, that's interesting because it it basically provides more like a professional Twitch with social media and gamification integrated into a, a white label solution. Um, something similar here to even what we can do in StreamYard in terms of just asking for questions and taking time for that, but then also creating off a, a second breakoff room later, which what we did at IEEE so that the keynote speaker could go to a lakeside in Mozilla Hubs and 20 people could go ask questions for an hour and like really take that sort of, the the front of stage time at a conference. When you go and find the speaker afterward, people crave that, they want that. And so just creating a virtual space for that experience is important too. Uh,
0: talking about questions, uh, Emiliano uh, is asking about, next generation devices uh do you believe uh, apple glass is going to be uh, a game changer or it is going to fade like uh, google glass or or oh, goodness. there
1: are there are 15 good smart glasses on the market now so we're not going to see smart glasses disappear um companies are going to come and go apple's not going to disappear um, how many Glasses they sell will be directly proportionate to how do they fit on the face and can you wear them all day? So if they nail that on the form factor, it'll work. And if not, there are companies like uh, uh, La Forge out of LA, a black owned company in Los Angeles that has done tremendous work in smart glasses and AR, um, Focals by North. Uh, there are a number of other smart glasses that have a a wearable form factor. Um, Alternately, you've got so many smart glasses used in enterprise, especially in Asia, um, and that includes like the ViewSix. That includes, um, I I personally like the real wear when we're talking about XR and smart glasses for industrial applications, but also for first responders. Uh, Real wear, for example, they have a whole, Uh, development kit that you can build apps on easily. And and many of your best smart glasses makers will do this. But you can, for example, put a cam, uh, a heat sensing uh, sensor, uh, a heat sensing cam on top of your helmet And then your real wear is gonna tell you where the hotspots are if you're a fireman. So that ability to navigate a space based on uh, sensors that you're adding to your heads up display. Uh, This is the real wear without a helmet, but it's also used in construction or um, in a number of other sort of uh, critical situations where you need to be able to put safety gear combined to a smart glasses implementation. Um, I I love these kinds of opportunity spaces because accessibility can change here. Um, There are so many ways, for example, the real wear could be very useful for my friends who are paraplegic, quadriplegic, and being able to go back to work. Um, So that's where I'm excited to see growth happening. And it's, you know, Apple's going to be one of 20 companies in the space next year.
0: And, and and these kinds of uh, um, experimentations uh, by smaller or bigger players are all um, fantastically important because uh, Moore's law is not dead. It's not even dying. Uh, mainstream media articles uh, ignorantly purporting that it is uh, notwithstanding. Uh, and uh, what that means is that at lower lower energy consumption, Higher and higher processing power is able to provide the, the software magic uh, that is needed in a form factor that, as you said, can accommodate long hours of power uh, for um, a glass where the uh, the, the the camera, or the laser are are not in, even even visible. Uh, <laughs> and, and on top of that, uh, what is uh, incredible is that so much basic research is still also needed like uh uh, light uh, guides and uh, and the ability to project laser directly on the retina or uh the fabled uh uh, contact lenses for uh uh, Mm -hmm. augmented reality uh, or the even further out uh neural link type uh, brain implants that are going Mm -hmm. to be um hacking your Perception of reality, uh, right. even I- I- at a deeper uh, level, and uh, functional
1: bionic eyes, eye replacement, all of these sorts of things are now being funded and, and are in development.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, what uh, is next uh, for you and for Playable uh, Agency in uh, in today's world? Uh, how mm-hmm. are you? Um, uh, how are you uh, uh, designing the kind of offering where you are finding uh, uh, an MVP or a product market fit with your uh, proposition? Because certainly it is different from what in January uh, you were you were expecting you would be doing.
1: Um, we We hit pause on one piece of our business plan, but we have kept in development on that piece which is connecting physical places, gameplay, and any sort of physical object that that might, for example, the magic you find in a theme park when you wave your Harry Potter wand and the whole window lights up, right? Those effects can be created in any storefront window. We're at the stage now where we're testing out the integrations to make that work so that when we do return to physical places, our objects and our devices can be part of vast, playable games. And those games, campaigns, virtual events, experiences are are built on immersive theater and interactive gameplay. So my co-founders come from both immersive theater and game design, and we've built mobile, social and event-based games for decades between us. Uh, That also includes ARGs and street games and civic games to drive specific social actions. Uh, So we're working on a number of deliveries. Some of them are more event-based. Some of them are more sort of campaign-based in terms of releasing uh, a new media project that has toys and experience zones and a game all attached with an app. Uh, Those sorts of integrations that bring people into a new world give them an opportunity to play with that world and then to create something. Um, The most important thing for me is to unlock new business models for creators and figure out how to monetize a way in which they can publish their own work. And this is WebXR work. This is interactive artwork. And find an audience and build that loop for themselves. Uh, Right now, it's very difficult, for example, to publish XR work and even just create a monetization on top of the website. So those are the sorts of things we're testing. For example, um, there's a project called Coil in the blockchain space. Uh, Coil and Uphold connected to to Mozilla, we've been able to work out, and and also on high fidelity, uh, testing out ways to add monetization to an experience zone that's all digital. Uh, but that lets you tip the artist. If you like their DJ set, if you like their performance, if you like their stream, you should be able to give that money direct to them and not have an intermediary ideally. Uh, So that's where we've been looking at um, infrastructure, integration, and then how do we design for interactivity based on that.
0: and, and um, I totally agree with you that uh, monetization through uh, novel business models is key because uh, the choke point that uh, all the uh, both traditional and digital but still dominating uh, distribution channels uh, represent is intolerable. Uh, the homogenization of culture is a grave danger Uh, in our understanding of reality and imposing a given interpretation of what uh, should be enjoyed and what should be appreciated, what should be rewarded uh, uh, is uh, becoming uh, accepted by by too many uh, to the point where um, alternatives are being criminalized just because they represent Uh, uh, a a channel that is outside of the approved, sanctioned ones. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, the the best uh, example of this is uh, uh, the fate of uh, Mega Upload, uh, which uh, uh, was exterminated with uh, extreme prejudice, uh, even while searching for um, copyright, respectful business models. And the same uh, fate happened uh, to uh, uh, to um, um, one of the original peer to peer distribution platforms uh, that uh, that threw in the towel uh, because they couldn't fight. Uh, but we are all the poorer for it. So uh, I I very much uh, welcome. Uh, all the experiments, like uh, COIL that you mentioned, uh, that uh, want to represent alternatives for uh, for uh, creators to, to earn a living. Uh, yes, please.
1: Uh, at the end of the day, these are the problems we are going to have to solve in order for creators to be resilient enough to survive in this new world. Um, we can't rely on our institutions or our platforms to take care of us. And uh, publishing, taking our publishing power into our own hands, whether that's as a XR creator or a VR creator, a game maker, an event producer, um, the more of that publishing power you can hold on to um, and then be able to work with it over time and build your community with you versus giving it all away to somebody else to to operate and to sell for you because there is this sort of divide right now most artists are not necessarily empowered to publish their own work the same way we do on youtube for example streaming we're very used to publishing our own work and you'll see for example what's happened with djs this year on twitch they begin to teach each other how to use these platforms very quickly. Artists share those kinds of tips so that you see new creative platforms emerge. The monetization around how to get that to work and actually pay for the grocery bills is tough. Um, I don't see a lot of artists that are actually doing a fantastic job of making ends meet this way. Um, It's all very experimental at this stage. And part of that is the the value propositions don't always match the, um, you know, What we would have paid to go to a virtual club a year ago and what we pay to go to a virtual club now are different. You know, if we had gone to a physical club to go dancing, we might pay 10, 20 more dollars, whatever, you know, currency that would be. And yet in a stream, we often don't want to pay a tenth of that for the same investment of creative talent. So we have to figure out, well, if I can reach a much broader audience, but they're going to pay me smaller amounts, how do I do that effectively? And there aren't a lot of platforms that allow for people to do that effectively right now. So I, I'm, I'm always looking for those opportunity spaces. I think that's why some people came to Second Life 15 years ago, because they saw they could build these sorts of vertical business models based on an open Economy, a place where they could actually, you know, work with work with the systems that already existed.
0: And 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 one of the reasons why um, in Second Life was so great is because it had uh, an internal economy. It had uh, all kinds of uh, smart ways that content creators could either release their creation uh, for uh, uh, adoption by others, allowing. Uh, digital replicas or restrict uh, the 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 digital copying of their creations so that each individual uh, item had to be uh, purchased instead and uh, it was really unfortunate that the uh, original architecture being centralized could be targeted again uh, and whether that was for uh, reasons where, where the the financial innovation was uh, um perceived as as intolerable and unacceptable uh, given that uh, people could open bank accounts in second life and then take out physical money danish banks were famous for opening uh, uh, that so
1: <laughs> it, it changed the economic model altogether and that's why most of those experiences and experiments went to decentralized apps because that was the place where they could experiment more effectively even with a smaller subsect of people but in a way that gave them the most flexibility to to run those experiments.
0: Uh, Emiliano was suggesting LimeWire for the P2P platform but actually I was uh, referring to Napster and uh, (laughs) uh, there is this uh, good chart that I find uh, found in the meantime uh, quoting both uh, around the year 2000 and then, of course, we have uh, new ones: uh, uh, diaspora and swarm, and uh, right. storage, uh, and 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 so on. Um, <laughs> so uh, we are at uh, at uh, the end uh, of our of our stream, and Emiliano would uh, would love to to have an hour of Q and A uh, afterwards. Uh, Uh, Emiliano, both Ivo and I are available. Uh, We will just uh, let you have uh, our Bitcoin addresses. uh, 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 Hit me up on
1: LinkedIn. I would love to speak to you more. Unfortunately, I do have to go and get on a call to plan another virtual conference for a bunch of other filmmakers this time. So it's been great speaking to you, David, and thanks so much. You can hit me up at Playable Agency on any social media too.
0: So I am looking forward to to have our audience do that. And thank you very much for coming, and uh, good luck uh, with the the next uh, stages uh, of your invention, innovation, and creation.
1: Thanks so much, David. Have a great day. Bye bye. Bye.
0: So uh, thank you everybody for uh, being uh, here together uh, on uh, Searching for the Question live. Um, you can. Um, subscribe and like uh, the uh, videos, uh, both of the current uh, stream as well as uh, past episodes uh, that you can uh, see on our uh, YouTube uh, channel uh, on uh, youtube.com slash David Orban. And uh, uh, if you speak uh, Italian, uh, I also invite you to um, check out uh, uh, our Italian channel on davidorban.com slash YouTube Italiano. And, of course, if you like the content that I create together with my team, you are welcome to become a supporter on patreon.com slash David Orban. And in the meantime, I will see you next time. In the next episode of uh, Searching for the Question Live. Thank you very much.